In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning our Lord tells a parable about a rich man who finds that his crops uh, have been quite fruitful this past year. So he thinks within himself, what am I going to do? I don't have enough room to put all of these crops inside. So he plans I'm going to pull down all the barns that I have right now, and I'm going to build the greatest, biggest barns that I can possibly imagine, because the crops that I'm going to get from this, my fields will fill them, and they'll probably fill them for the next few years. And once I've done this, I can kick back. In fact, he says, soul. He's talking to himself. Soul here. You have many goods laid up for you for many years. Take your ease. Eat. Drink. Be merry. You have no worries. There's nothing wrong. In fact, everything is going well. So you've worked hard. You should sit back. Relax. Take it easy. Drink a cold one. (laughs) you know lemonade or something (laughs) most of us maybe relate to the rich man I'm sure many of us do not relate to the rich man and the sense that we're having crops that we need to tear down our barns and build up new ones there's not Uh, as many people making their life from the fruit of the earth. And in fact, maybe we even distance ourselves beyond that from a kind of agrarian image. We don't necessarily think ourselves rich. It's not like we're about to tear down our home and then rebuild a little McMansion for ourselves. At least I don't know of anyone here who's planning to do such things. And while we look at the rich man and we say, kind of in our society, we say, good for you, (laughs) right? The crops have grown. Now your business is going to prosper. Tear down those barns and build up new ones. What does our culture value? Our culture And most cultures, you can tell if you're going to do archaeological work or anything like that, you can tell what a culture values by what they build. Right? What will our culture be known for? What do we build large things of? Football stadiums. Landfills. I wasn't expecting that one. But that... We build very large landfills. What else do we build big things of? We do build some big churches that maybe uh, archaeologists won't find one day because they're not typically built very well. Cemeteries? Cemeteries. We have large cemeteries. Amazon headquarters. Amazon headquarters. Even here in Oak Ridge, if you are driving along, what are typically the tall buildings? Skyscraper. What? Somebody's office buildings and banks 
What do banks actually look like? Temples, <laughs> fortresses. I wonder where we put all our money. I wonder where a lot of our time and energy, you can see it reflected in all the things that we build. We spend a lot of time and money and energy and tax breaks in building football stadiums, basketball arenas, making sure the highways that get there, well, maybe, it depends, I guess, <laughs> in the area. Uh, that's not a comment up here as much as my hometown uh, around Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, we spend so much time and energy in building these things as their monuments, their buildings. We put all of this into these buildings. And I think we can relate on some level that while we are not necessarily building new barns, we do have uh, some semblance to what the rich man says to his self. You've got goods laid up, or maybe in our contemporary parlance, you're doing all right. You should take a break. You should treat yourself. <laughs> maybe that's a few years out of date now. You deserve something good. In fact, you've worked hard. You've put three hours in this morning at the monitor. You should get yourself a $7 Starbucks. <laughs> we treat ourselves and kick back and put our feet up probably more often than we realize. Mostly because we live our lives at 99 miles an hour. If we look back a generation or two ago, most of the things that we do with our time and our money, most of our grandparents, much less beyond that, would look at us and say, wow, you're living an abundant life. You are living uh, with so much more than what our ancestors did. Our culture affects us so much that we're blind to it. That's kind of one of the ideas of culture is that you don't really see your culture until you encounter another culture. You go to Europe, you go to South America, you go somewhere else. Maybe in little ways, if you go to Canada, you realize their Starbucks is Tim Hortons or something like this. But you realize what the culture is when you encounter something else. And our culture is very utilitarian, pragmatic, and ultimately, what is the bottom line for our culture? What is the value of almost everything? Money, right? Almost everything boils down to how much will that cost me or how much does that cost? The older cultures, and especially a culture, say, of Israel... What was the biggest building that they would have had? Would it have been first Jerusalem and savings and loans? What did you say, Joseph? The temple. In fact, in most ancient cultures, the largest building, the center of the entire culture was the temple. It is where God and man met. And it shows a very different focus on what the culture was like. We have today commemorated one of my favorite saints, and you may have never heard of him, but without him, uh, you would not uh, be familiar with 
well, many of the saints you are familiar with, you would not know them if it wasn't for St. Gregory the Wonderworker. St. Gregory the Wonderworker was a young man and then convert to Christianity. He was a lawyer. He studied law. And while he was studying law, he encountered Christianity and he converted to Christianity and studied and then basically went back home up to uh, Neo Caesarea, basically Cappadocia, uh, area just south basically of the Black Sea, kind of uh, eastern Turkey. And St. Gregory was basically the forerunner in Cappadocia for the next generation of saints. You may be familiar with some of them. St. Basil, we usually call him the Great, because if you say St. Basil, you're typically talking about St. Basil. His sister, St. Macrina, his other, his brother, St. Gregory of Nyssa, his other brother, 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 They weren't, they weren't from the hills. They were aristocratic, so they wouldn't have said brother. <laughs> you have Peter of Sebast, and their parents also were canonized. Even, if I'm remembering correctly, the grandmother, the matriarch of the family, was the one who actually met Gregory, the wonder worker. And what you see in the life of Gregory, you see a very different set of priorities. He was of the aristocratic class. He could have decided, I'm going to be uh, a leisurely fellow who buys his books and hangs out on his estate and does not engage with the world, but spends lots of time uh, reading and enjoying himself, philosophizing. This was actually the good life. If you read someone like Cicero, this was the good life. Uh, Maybe many of you. I know this kind of... <laughs> resonates a little bit, being able to sit on your estate, drinking your wine, being able to read a little bit of philosophy, kicking back a little bit. Maybe that's not your cup of wine, but. <laughs> Gregory, I want us to look at three things about Gregory that laid the groundwork for all of these saints that came after him. And I want us to talk a little bit about what it means to create and to begin to create a culture of contemplation, a culture that does not just see pragmatic, utilitarian things, but here at St. Anne's, that we uh, develop a culture of contemplation. Not that we've had a culture of pragmatism, utilitarianism in the past, but we're all so soaked in our environments to be encouraged to live a life of contemplation. um, Well, it's worth encouragement almost every day. St. Gregory was studious. One of the ways in which you develop a spirit, a contemplative spirit, is through study. And all the fathers and mothers of the church will encourage, if you would like to have, uh, as the contemporary parlance or our local parlance, a closer walk with Jesus then you need to delve into the scriptures. You need to read the spiritual writings of the fathers. You need to set aside time to study. And more importantly, setting aside time and managing your time such as to be able to pray. For studying without prayer is pretty vain and useless when we're talking about God. It is through the study and work of Gregory, his preaching and his teaching 
that it was said of Gregory when he came to the region that he was to become bishop of that there was 17 Christians in the district in where he came to be the bishop. The saying when he died is that there were 17 people who were not Christian when he died. It's a nice little way to talk about 17, not 17 who had not become Christian. He did this through his work in study, his preaching, and his teaching. And it is something on some level incumbent upon all of us as Christians and our desire to follow God and see God to delve into the scriptures, to study our faith. Not that we become uh, experts in 4th century Trinitarian disputes or later, you know, essence and energies or all these kind of uh, later discussions. That we know who our Lord is. We know his commandments. We know uh, intimately the words of Christ the words of scripture because they become our words. St. Gregory did a lot of missionary work, as I've mentioned. He had 17 in the region where he was at who were not Christian, and 17, sorry, 17 who were Christian, and 17 left who were not Christian when he died. And a lot of that missionary work was slow missionary work. It had to do especially with the nitty-gritty details of family life. (laughs) He reconciles, there's a story in the hymnody that we sang last night, a story where he reconciles two brothers. There's nothing like uh, a will to divide a family and the reading of the will and trying to figure out who is going to receive what. You have two brothers who are fighting over land, and through the prayer of St. Gregory, the land, uh, basically they had land that had water on it, a lake on it. And one brother wanted the land that didn't have the water on it, kind of obviously, right? What else are you going to do? I guess you could sell people canoe rides rides or something on the part with the water on it. The other brother ended up with all the water on his land, and it was like, this isn't fair. St. Gregory intercedes, he prays, he keeps vigil all night, and the next day, there's no water. Now both brothers can have the properties that are due to them uh, without fighting. The missionary work and the slow missionary work that we need to do to become contemplative in our culture, to try and reflect this in our lives is going to be reflected throughout all of our families and maybe even into our extended families as we develop a spirit uh, dedicated to God that means that we are going to become peacemakers that means that we are going to become people who are going to preach and show through our examples forgiveness that there can be uh, a new start And the third, I think the most important thing, especially for here at St. Anne's for us to contemplate, is that St. Gregory, one of the great things that he did, because he knows how humans work, right? It's one thing through all the study and the preaching to have uh, people who are converted because they've read the same books or they're interested in the same arguments or they're convicted of these arguments. St. Gregory realized that humans... And cultures 
are not just abstract or they're not just about word. They're also about celebration, about feasting, about communal life together, about all of us coming together and being able to praise and glorify God. So what did Gregory do? Gregory, so if you know something about pagans, uh, it's probably the Dionysian, uh, Bacchanalian type pagan life, right? That it's a lot of wine, the wine never ends, the party never ends, the night never ends, uh, and there's all sorts of other things that occur. This is kind of the pagan festivities. Well, Gregory saw this, and he saw that it brought everybody out, right? Who does not want to have a great feast? And what he did instead is develop and build what he called martyriums. There were these buildings. They're basically temples to God, but they all commemorated different martyrs. So for this family in this area, the 40 martyrs of Sebast that we commemorate in the spring uh, became a major feast for this area. And so St. Gregory, in order to help with transform the culture to encourage that transformation from a pragmatic, utilitarian, maybe even hedonistic culture into a culture dedicated and surrounded by God and that its ultimate aim and its vision was towards God was to develop and build great temples and then dedicate major feasts, Christian feasts, where that you were to come and celebrate a martyr and you might even spend the night in the church. This is a practice that they would do. Gregory of Nyssa actually did this in one of these churches and had a vision that turned his life around. An example right here of the fruit of Gregory the Wonder Worker. These temples became the focus of the entire region. Their lives uh, rotated around these feasts. And they knew very intimately the details and the deeds of these feasts. Just like who knew about St. Anne before this church or before Orthodoxy? I had no idea. But now, because of St. Anne's existing here, because of the Orthodox Church, we now have multiple feasts. We have a patronal feast that we're able to come together to celebrate, to direct our minds and our lives towards God so that we are not defined, that we are not building up buildings and our time and our energy and all of that on just taking it easy, eating, drinking, and being merry, not uh, putting all of that time and energy in that direction, but rather we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, that we are rich towards God, that we here at St. Anne's turn towards contemplation, that we turn towards thinking and remembering God and how wondrous he is in his saints, how thankful and grateful we are for St. Gregory the Wonder Worker, an icon of contemplative living who overthrew uh, the culture around him, not through a head-on collision, but through basic working, teaching, and celebrating the life that we have in Christ. May God grant us a vision of him as we celebrate and remember 
Gregory the Wonder Worker, and as we approach the altar this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.